Warning. Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we are diving deep into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we are breaking down part one of the Roni season two reunion, as they used to title them, Watch What Happens, which is our first two-part reunion. Now. Let's get our fix. We've made it to the Roni season two reunion, which means there's more drama to come. I always love the reunions, especially the early reunions, because Andy wasn't afraid to go there. He took the shadiest, most on-point viewer comments and questions and just stuck it to the women. It was, there wasn't a lot of the, like what you see with Teresa Judice now on New Jersey, where he kind of calls her out, but only goes so far, not in these early episodes and seasons. He goes in deep. He has the hard-hitting questions. He's not afraid to ask them. And I love it because it's what we feel as viewers need to be answered, especially in a reunion where we're we're tying up the, the season with a bow. We want to know how do they feel, what's their reactions, and most importantly, we want some accountability for some of the bullshit. And this is the first ever Real Housewives two-part reunion because as I always say, I know Real Housewives of Orange County started the whole deal. They were the first Real Housewives show on the air. But Roni is the prototype for what we know and love the housewives to be today. I've said it in earlier episodes, before Roni, there was no setup where there were the couches with Andy in the middle. That was a creation of Roni reunion for season one. And before this, there were no two-part reunions. It was just the reunion, watch what happens. So now, because the Roni ladies were bringing it, they were getting a ton of press, they were putting Bravo, Andy, the whole Real Housewives franchise on the map, there was enough drama to fill up a two-part reunion, which I'm sure Andy and Bravo were just thrilled about. They get two weeks of drama out of this one taping. And because this is a reunion show, we're not doing Turtle Time this episode, so let's jump right into it with Mention It All. Andy opens up the Roni season two reunion with a voiceover as we're watching the ladies get on the couches and everything's getting set. And he explains that this taping lasted a record, which was a record at the time because now we know they go forever, but a record seven hours of taping for this reunion. So they split it into two parts. And there's just this vibe and energy and sound and feeling that you get from these early episodes. I I just love it. I love, you know, Andy's hair. He's kind of got a little bit of a fro. His curls are showing. The music that they play as their interludes and, and overtures. 
There's just a vibe and it brings me back to 2009 when this is airing, when we are seeing this for the first time. It it might not seem like anything now because we're so used to the housewives, but this was so new. It, we hadn't seen anything like this. And with the introduction of people like Bethany and Jill and Alex and Ramona and Kelly and even Luann, these women were just... They were a little bit crazy. We had never seen somebody living their lives like this on national television before. And because they had real relationships and real backstory, there was real drama going on. It was not concocted. They didn't know that this kind of drama was going to get them more airtime or make them popular with the viewers or with Bravo. It was just real life happening in front of the cameras. And we were getting a bird's eye view. We were the fly on the wall watching it. I don't know. I just love watching these old episodes. The feeling I get, it just, I love it. Needless to say. So we open up with what we now see as the usual setup, but was totally new for us and brought to us by Roni, which is Andy in the middle with the couches on either side. And the set is pretty simple, but it's but it's really pretty. They've got in the background a replica of the Vanderbilt Gates from Central Park, which I thought were really cool. And the Vanderbilt Gates are the original gates to their home from the Gilded Age that got moved to the entrance of Central Park. And we've got the ladies sitting on gold, like shiny leather, real tacky, very late 2000s couches. And we've got the table, kind of a coffee table in the middle of the two couches with a bunch of gold apples, because as we know, the ladies in their intro scenes are all holding the apple for New York, the big apple. And so we have got Andy. He's got a little bigger hair than we're used to. It's the old school Andy we know and love. He's in the middle. He's wearing a real sharp navy suit, looking good. And to his right, our left... In order on the gold couch is Ramona, Kelly, and Alex. And on his left, in order, are Jill, Bethany, and Luann. And the ladies all look great. Ramona's wearing a satin royal blue kind of short cocktail dress. Kelly's wearing a cream, peachy colored, soft, roughly number. Alex has a great black cocktail dress on. She looks better than she has in any of the other episodes or the last reunion. Jill's wearing a navy blue cocktail dress. There's nothing wrong with it. She looks good. But again, I just she doesn't have the greatest style. So it's not my favorite. Bethany's wearing a green lacy cocktail dress with a black thin belt. Very late 2000s style. And Luann is wearing her signature one shoulder kind of purpley fuchsia dress. Very classic. And right away, it, it just hit me. And I noticed they're all just wearing their own choices for an outfit for the reunion. It's not overproduced. It's not overplanned. You know, now it's all, they all have to wear the same color or there's two colors and every other woman is wearing one of them. And there's definitely a scheme to the outfit selections for the for the reunions these days. Which to me takes so much of the authenticity out of it. I loved seeing these women in what they chose to wear to the reunion. The colors aren't matched. The styles aren't matched. Because it gives us a true flavor of who these ladies are. And I really think it's so much of what's missing from the housewives today. It's just, again, I I feel like I harp on it. But I always say now it's just overproduced, one storyline, they're not sharing anything real about their their lives. And if they are, it's the one thing that they're sharing, and that's their storyline for the whole year. 
But this is back old school OG style where we're following these women around who have real relationships with each other. So the drama is real. It's not produced for television. And their outfits to me for this reunion just said it all about the authenticity of this reunion. They clearly just all went out, picked their own thing, wore what they thought they looked best in and showed up to the reunion. So Andy starts in by noting that all of the housewives have been in the headlines recently. And again, I think this is really indicative of why Roni did put housewives on the map, because these women were getting a lot of publicity. The first season of Real Housewives of OC, you weren't seeing Vicky or Tammy or any of the other ladies showing up in Page Six or E, you know, th- that stuff just wasn't happening. But these ladies were hitting it out of the park. They were getting a lot of publicity and therefore they were giving Bravo a lot of publicity. And you can go back and look at some of the old interviews and other publicity items for the show. And you'll see Andy talking about the fact that they they were out in public putting this show on the radar of America. So Andy starts in noting this, and he starts with Jill and says she looks a little less top heavy these days, because as Jill explains, she did have a boob reduction and lift because Jill is very busty. She's pretty tiny for how busty she is. And she says that she went from a 32G to a double D, but it's the surgery has been pretty recent. So she's hoping to settle in at a D. And Andy asks, because of course he can't help himself, if Bobby, Jill's husband, has gotten to diddle with the new work. And because it's just happened, she's clearly still recovering from the surgery. She says, no, he hasn't. But then we get Kelly. She's like, Andy, from across the couches. And she acts all embarrassed and she's playing that shy, coy thing that she does that's so obnoxious. And I love it because Jill says, why are you embarrassed? He asked me the question. And it's like, exactly, just Kelly, relax. You don't need to act like any topic of sex is off limits. And meanwhile, anyway, her whole storyline about Max and him meeting her and it just it's like, please stop. And let's not forget, she posed for Playboy. We had a whole episode about it. And I love this part where Ramona says, well, they do look great. They looked great when she saw them. And it totally piques Andy's interest, who turns and is a bit shocked and says, well, in what situation did you see Jill's boobs? And Ramona explains that she went over to visit and bring Jill flowers and Jill showed her, which I don't think maybe to a man that would be a little bit strange, but that's kind of how us women are. We're very used to changing in front of each other. I mean, if I got a boob job, I'd show all my friends and my very close friends who did have boob jobs. I saw before and after, live and in person. That's just how us women are. We're we're different than men that way. And then I love it because then they all launch into a, the jokes about how Jill is showing everyone. Bethany reminds Andy, uh, she asked you if you wanted to see him. And Andy's like, yeah, that's true. And Bethany has this great joke where she says, yeah, my doorman thought they looked great. And everyone's laughing and it's it's great. And then Andy turns to Bethany and is like, well, your boobs have also been in the news lately. And Luann, who's next on the couch, you could tell, is a bit shocked and says, well, I hope you're not continuing down the couch with this line of questioning, Andy. And of course, he says no. 
But Bethany's boobs were in the news. And if you go back to the very first episode of season two, where you see Jill and Bethany in Jill's Hampton's house, and Bethany's wearing that green bikini, it's that green bikini scene. And it her boobs do look very perky and big. And Andy says we got a lot of viewer questions about that green bikini scene where everyone assumed you must have had a boob job. And Bethany explains that she always had really saggy boobs. And it's I think she says about 10 years previous, she had them lifted. And so, yes, she had some work done, but it wasn't, you know, recent or anything from the housewives. It was just probably that bathing suit and the fact that she did have a boob lift back in the day. Andy then congratulates Bethany on her book because it is a New York Times best-selling book, Naturally Thin. She explains it's been on the New York Times bestsellers list since the week that it was released, just showing you how big of a splash Bethany was making. And again, this is also helping putting Bravo and Real Housewives on the mark. You didn't have the Real Housewives of Orange County becoming New York Times bestsellers with their first book. You just didn't. But Bethany is out there. She knows how to sell it. And she really is helping to put this show on the map. And then Andy goes in and asks about the A-Rod rumors to Bethany, because there were some rumors that Bethany and A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, famous baseball player who... Some of our younger listeners probably know best as JLo's ex fiance who was cheating on her. But back in the day, he was a super stud, super attractive, hot athlete. Little side story. When I was a teenager, I was probably 16 or 17. It was A-Rod's rookie year. And my dad's good friend played for the Seattle Mariners, which is where A-Rod played in the beginning. And They were coming to play the Oakland Athletics, and we went to see the game, and we got to go underneath to where the kind of the families meet up with the players afterwards. And Ken Griffey Jr. was playing for the Mariners at that time. So he was the big hot name, and he was kind of an asshole. He didn't want anyone to to talk to him. He had a huge entourage around him, and no one was allowed to say anything to him as he came out. But that didn't matter to me because I was absolutely in love with Alex Rodriguez. I just thought he was the hottest dude. And, you know, I'm a 17-year-old girl. I don't know. He was probably 20 at the time. And here he comes. And Rich Amaral, shout out to you, Rich, my dad's friend who was playing for the Seattle Mariners. He knew that I loved Alex Rodriguez. So he got me Alex's number three Seattle Mariners wristband that he wore during the game. And then the time came where Alex came out from the locker room and was walking down the the area where all the family members were, including me and my family. And I had a baseball from the game that Rich had given me. And I ran up to Alex and asked him to sign my ball. And he was so gracious and so sweet. And he did. And I still have it to this day. It's in a case. And I'm so glad I kept it because he went on to become a very famous player, a Yankee player. And then also because he was so, he's just such an attractive guy. I mean, maybe not these days, but when he was young, he was just gorgeous. And so, of course, he had a lot of high profile celebrity girlfriends and fiancés. So it's a perfect mashup of two of my favorite things, pop culture and sports. But back to the reunion. So Andy asks Bethany about the A-Rod rumors, which I love this moment because she goes, oh, yeah, the whole B-Rod thing, which I thought was pretty funny because there's just the smirk in Bethany's face when she says it. And you can tell that she likes it a little bit. She's getting publicity and not only publicity, but publicity with really A-list sports celebrities. And the fact that she brings up, oh, the B-Rod thing, which is what they were calling it in the press. 
I just love to see her face. It was good. It's just, it's the kind of thing that you only see on somebody when they're first experiencing it. She wouldn't have that same reaction to it now that she's rich and famous, but it's just a sign of the times. I loved it. And she says, no, she's playing the field, which Jill loves. Get it? Playing the field. And there really isn't anyone super serious. But she does then mention that there is one person who's more special than all of the others, but it's very early. She doesn't want to say anything. And I can't help but think that that is a reference to Jason Hoppy, her ex-husband now and father of her daughter, which it really does set us up perfectly for the opening of season three where we meet Jason. So Andy then turns to Luann and he says that you've also been in the headlines, Luann, because you and the Count are no longer. You are divorcing, which is really news to the viewers because Luann did try to paint this perfect picture of she and the Count's life and marriage. We just saw them together at the reunion. They seemed very happy. But now we know they're divorcing. And Luann kind of shockingly explains that although they were separated and they were having problems, she simply got an email after 16 years of marriage that the Count has met somebody else. And she says she found that incredibly hurtful. And even Andy seems a little bit shocked, like, wait a second, this is a breakup over email for your marriage? And she confirms it, which I think says a lot about the state of their marriage, but also maybe a little bit into the entitlement and the behavior of the Count. Because even if you're separated and living separate lives, To send an email to your wife and mother of your children that you've met someone else and you're moving on, eh, shady, just shady. And Luann explains that they're they're just better off as friends, which Andy is shocked that they can remain friends after the email breakup. And Luann does walk that back a bit and says she's trying to remain friends for the sake of their children and for their, their family. But she goes on to say that her book, Class with the Countess, is coming out. And so that is giving her a good distraction and something else to think about. And then, of course, the question that really all of us, I think, had because she did make the Countess her thing for the show. And because Andy doesn't hold back, he asked the biggest question they got for her is, will you remain the Countess? And she explains that she does get to keep her title. So we still get Countess Luann. She's not going anywhere. And then again, we get a little bit more into who the Count is. And I, Luann, I thought was sticking it to him a little bit here because Andy goes in a little bit further as to the rumors with the Count that he is dating an Ethiopian princess. And Luann goes into this story that it's really unsure as to whether she's a princess, she's Ethiopian, but she hints at the fact that they're making up the story that this woman is a princess to make it look okay that the Count is with her. And I think we get a bunch of the aristocracy nonsense that is going on there. And I thought that was very interesting. And I got to give it to Luann for putting that out there and, and being honest and kind of sticking it to the count a little bit. And then it's time for Alex. Andy says to her, well, you were a victim of the economy because I've mentioned this before, 2008, 2009, when this is filming, we have the Great Recession, the housing bubble crashes, the economy crashes, and things were not good for the economy and for a lot of people during this time. And Alex explains that in late February, this would have been February of 2009, she was laid off by her company. Remember, she was doing um, kind of graphic design and store design for Victoria's Secret. But she explains whenever a door closes, a window opens, and she's going into consulting now. 
She's doing several things, one of which is working for Second Time Around, a luxury consignment store. And she was also going to be doing some um, store design for some other store openings, which is what she was doing for Victoria's Secret. So it makes sense. But you just can't help but feel for Alex. Not only does she have creepy Simon as her husband, and she's awkward on camera and gets the most shit from the viewers and the ladies, mostly because they don't have a lot and they try to act like they do and keep up with the Joneses. But now we've heard she's lost her job, which I'm sure was a huge financial hit to the family. She was obviously working because she needed to work. Andy then turns to Kelly who corrects him when he says Kelly Ben-Simone. She says Kelly Kaloran Ben-Simone, like as if we should all know her name, like she's somebody famous. It's so obnoxious. But Andy digs right in and talks about the allegations of abuse by her ex-boyfriend, which we talked about briefly in one of the other episodes. And Andy describes it as a reverse Chris Brown, Rihanna situation. And for those of you who don't remember or aren't old enough to remember, In 2009, Rihanna and Chris Brown were dating. They were a hot couple in the music industry and just in the celebrity gossip world. And the night before the Grammys, he physically attacked her and assaulted her in a Lamborghini. I mean, how Hollywood can you get? And he left her with a black eye, a busted lip. She had bruises everywhere. It was horrifying. And I'm shocked that Chris Brown was able to even come back in any way after that. Rihanna had apparently found out that he was cheating on her and went off on him. And I think she may have been kind of fighting him and being physical herself. But he admits that he fully cocked back and punched her like closed fist in the face. I think it's what busted her lip and then the black eye. It was really unbelievable. And so it's kind of shocking that Andy says it's a reverse Chris Brown Rihanna situation. And then Kelly goes into this. I'll call it an explanation for lack of a better word. But it's really just ramblings. And she does this thing where I'm tell- I can't tell if she's got a mental problem, if she's got something else going on, if she's on drugs. I don't know what it is. But I really do think that she is not living in reality because she just kind of starts stating facts. She'll do this and I'll point this out. She does it a lot as we start going through season three as well. But she just starts trying to explain. She begins by saying that the ex-boyfriend was very obsessive. And she kind of throws out there that she talked to Jill about it. And Jill said, you've got to get rid of this guy. They don't really go into it. And I couldn't tell if she talked to Jill about it after they broke up and after these allegations came out and he went to the police or if this is while they're dating. But it's the timeline seems very confusing Bethany even kind of jumps out and says, well, if he was your boyfriend, why wasn't he on the show? And Kelly's like, I'm I'm answering as if she's going to get there. But of course, we never get an answer in her ramblings. And she just starts going off on the guy was obsessive. And then he I tried to break up with him. And then he came to my house. And the way that I'm telling this is much more coherent than the way that Kelly is. And then she I mean, she throws out these things where she's like, you guys know me, but you don't know me that well. And it's like, oh, my God, she just she doesn't understand how to even use the phrase. And so she's going on and then she says that he came to her house and then he walked. He walked. (laughs) She like emphasizes like that's the most important part of it to a police precinct and then gave a story to the post. 
And then it turns emotional for her where she says, then the post runs the story and all of a sudden this name that I've built since I was a kid and she starts crying talking about this name and reputation that she's built since she was a kid and she's worked so hard since she was a kid. And I was like, well, funny, I didn't know who you were till you were on The Real Housewives of New York City, but whatever. Ramona and Jill, they're, they're supportive. They ask, hey, someone get her a tissue. They bring her a tissue. She takes it and she starts to use it. And then she's like, I don't want a tissue. It's just, it's so weird and all over the place. And then she launches into, has anyone asked me what happened? No. Can I talk about it? No. And it's like, well, why would anyone ask you about it if you're saying you can't talk about it? Again, it's just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Then she does mention, as she says she can't talk about it, that after he dragged her and her kids through this, he didn't even bother showing up in court. And then she says a famous Kelly one-liner, so the grass isn't always greener, no matter how much fertilizer you have. It's like, what the fuck is that? I forgot she says this, and I just was dying laughing when I was rewatching it. It's so crazy. But that's not the end of Kelly's legal woes, because then Andy brings up the lawsuit with the owl jewelry line, which we've also talked about in previous episodes. Remember, there was an accusation by a gal who was a fashion assistant at Elle Accessories when Kelly was an editor, as she likes to point out all the time. And there was the claim that she stole the gal's idea, that there was some sort of verbal contract. And as Kelly points out, she's the daughter of a lawyer. She would never have a verbal contract. She knows better than that. But her her kind of narrative of it is that, you know, suing people is the new recession vocation, which clearly someone has given her that line to say. And both Jill and Bethany kind of call bullshit. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't know I didn't get the memo that that's the new recession vocation. And Jill's like, no one's suing us. And it seems to be just you. And it was interesting. I couldn't help but notice this part, too, is throughout the season, we saw Jill really starting to shift towards Kelly. She was being, in my opinion, a total traitor to Bethany, especially after everything that Kelly had done with I'm up here, you're down here nonsense and the attempted reconciliation at Jill's house where, you know, Bethany, Bethany, just stop, where Kelly just loses her mind. And Kelly's just a total asshole. And and Jill was trying to, like, help her recover her reputation, was giving her a lot of airtime. But clearly something happened and maybe it was these lawsuits that freaked Jill out because in the reunion, Jill is totally... It see I shouldn't say totally, but is pretty much Team Bethany and is holding her hand and they seem to be teaming up. I couldn't help but notice it because wait until season three and you can see over the summer between the reunion and when they start filming, shit clearly goes down and Jill takes another turn. So then Andy turns to Ramona and says, shockingly, you are the only one that hasn't been in the headlines, even though you have the biggest mouth. Which, I don't know if I agree with that assessment. I think Jill's got the biggest mouth. I mean, let's be serious. I think Ramona puts her foot in her mouth the most, but I don't think she's got the biggest mouth, but whatever. We're squabbling over over, uh, words there. And I do love Ramona's little kind of zinger comeback that she's really busy working. She doesn't have time to be out there in the headlines. I loved it. So then Andy cues Ramona's video package. So we get a bunch of clips. We get the, oh, darling, oh, darling. You know, I like Luann, but I can't stand it when she acts like this high and mighty countess. 
We see her and the Countess at the Hope Lodge charity event where she, Ramona mentions that Luann married an older man and Luann loses her shit. We see that, did you take your five grand? Did you get your five grand? Issue with Jill at Jill's charity event. And then, of course, they couldn't help but have a little montage of Ramona hating on Alex and Simon and talking about how much she doesn't want to do anything with them. We get a little bit of Ramona when she was pissed that Kelly did that article. I think it was in page six, saying that she introduced all the women to fashion, even though Ramona clearly has been in the fashion industry for several decades and brought Kelly to the uh, Badgley Mishka show. We get that classic scene where we are at Ramona's launch party. Well, not really a launch party, but she's introducing to her friends the True Faith Renewal jewelry and her skincare line. And she says to Bethany, yes, my friends build you up, not like Jill who tears you down. You're the underdog. And then they end it with clips of her dancing, especially that one at the Social Life magazine party where she's kind of just sitting and waiting and she's dancing. It's, you know, the Ramona dance scenes are some of my favorite. And I I loved this package because it was such a good reminder of why these epi- these episodes and these seasons were so successful because there were no storylines. I mean, you look at Real Housewives of Beverly Hills now with Lisa Rinna and Kyle and Erica, and it's like they all have fucking storylines, and that's all they're going to talk about this year, and it's so overproduced and fake. And it's just, it's a one-note song. I can't take it. But this little video package of Ramona's, it was just a conglomeration of all of her best and different moments. None of them were the same. They weren't all about the same thing or the one big beef she had with whatever cast member was the target of that season, which shows why it's interesting. It was always something different. It really was them living their lives. It wasn't the, you know, Lucy, Lucy, Apple, Juicy bullshit from Beverly Hills where that's going to be the storyline or or the Munchausen shit with Yolanda Foster, right? It was just a bunch of clips of Ramona being herself in many different situations. And it was great. And at the end, when the clip ends, Andy looks at Ramona and she goes, well, what can I say? I'm a character. And then she says, they broke the mold after me. And it's like she gets it wrong again. It's another Ramona-ism. She means they broke the mold with me, but it's it's Ramona and you got to love it. And I also love that they talk about her dancing and how classic it is. And even Jill's like kind of gives her a bad time. And Ramona's like, I was just waiting and I was, I was you know, bored. And so I was waiting with my body and... <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't she just doesn't know how to explain it. It's so good. And then they do bring up the the kind of point that Bethany had commented when when Ramona has her friends over and Bethany and does the the True Faith Renewal skin care line kind of launch. And Bethany gives her that great advice about you can't have True Faith TRU and then another thing, True Faith TRUE. You've got to have one brand and have everything under it if you want to be successful. And they talk about that. And Ramona was pissed. And Andy says a viewer comments like, you know, you just shut down. You didn't seem to be able to open up and take that advice because it was probably good advice. And although Ramona is a bit defensive, she does say, you know, it, it was probably good advice. But in the moment, I just wanted you to say how great it was and support me. And Bethany sees her point, says, no, I totally get it. And I I like this moment because they're both willing to kind of see the other person's side and they they kind of come to it. It's like it ties it up with the bow. Like I said, it's it's they come to the conclusion that they both were a little bit off and they see each other's points of view. But then Jill, who just cannot help herself, she attacks Ramona and says, hold on a second. You said you've been working on this skincare line for a year and a half. You have not been doing that. You're a, just stop freaking lying. 
Which, what, and it's really, what is it to you, Jill? Like whether it, she's been working on it for six months or a year and a half, just, just stop, right? Like, I, I kind of appreciate calling out the bullshit, but this one is just kind of mean. And finally, at the end, Ramona, you know, says something like, fine, maybe I got the dates wrong, whatever. I'm working on a lot of things. And you can tell Ramona just wants it to end. And Jill's got this kind of shit eating grin on her face. Like, great. You said you probably got the dates wrong. Just wanted to hear it. Like, kind of like, a, I'm right. You're wrong thing. And it just seemed real catty for no reason. And as Andy's kind of going through viewer questions and the ladies are talking about her reaction to things, I really like this moment from Ramona, too, because she explains, look, my mom was incredibly verbally abused by my father, and we had a very unhealthy household. And because of that, she takes a lot and then unfortunately kind of comments at the wrong moment because it just comes out because she's been holding it in, holding it in. And she starts to get emotional. She's teary-eyed and starts to cry a little bit, talking about her upbringing and how abusive her father was. And I just, I love that Ramona was being vulnerable in those moments because you do start to get to know them a little bit better and see why they are the way they are. And then they turn to the whole Hope Lodge incident with she and Luann, where Ramona said that she married an older man. And again, this is where I like where Andy calls it for what it is, because he says, Ramona, you did kind of go after Luann, but Luann, let's get real. 15 years is a big age difference. You were being a bit ridiculous by acting like somehow that was some shocking thing to say. And here's where we start to see the curtain be pulled back a little bit on Luann, because Ramona just straight up calls her out. Luann's trying to say, well, why would you be upset with me that I was, you know, kind of protecting my daughter and didn't want to talk about it? And Bethany comes to her defense, too, because Ramona says, look, I wasn't mad at you that you were trying to cover up that your marriage was falling apart. You literally just said in front of to me, you know, when I was talking to Bethany, oh, darling, I would never take a man's number. I would never ask a man for her number, for his number. And Ramona says, but that's all bullshit because we knew your marriage was falling apart. We knew you were pretending on the show that it was perfect, which Ramona says, was not only pissing me off, it was pissing everybody off on the show. And she says, I was getting back at you for criticizing my advice to Bethany. And further, you then harassed me for saying to give her number to a man when three months earlier, Luann, I was with you out at a club and you did the same thing right in front of me. And I'm sure Luann is kind of shocked because Ramona basically, again, she's pulling the curtain back. And Bethany helps Ramona out a bit because Luann keeps trying to say, well, why are you mad at me and trying to get back at me because I was not feeling comfortable coming out with the fact that my marriage was falling apart? And Bethany's like, it wasn't that you literally like threw a zinger at her. You were hitting her, you know, saying that she was giving me bad advice, acting like she was being really promiscuous by saying to take a man's number. And so it wasn't just that. And Luann just, her response to Ramona, she just, she just can't get all the way to honest yet. She's just a bitch to Ramona and tries to say, you're just searching Ramona. And you can see Ramona's like, what are you talking about? And it's really, it's driving her crazy. And I think it would have driven me crazy too, because I do feel like Luann is gaslighting her a bit because Ramona was not getting back at Luann because she was living a fake life on TV. She was getting back at Luann because Luann had thrown some punches at Ramona and Luann just doesn't want to admit it. And Luann further goes on and says, well, then why did you buy me a magnum of champagne to apologize? And I love it because Ramona just finally lays it out like it is. And she says, look, 
I can know that you're wrong, but still feel bad that you felt bad. You were crying. It made me feel bad. It doesn't mean I think you were right. I gave you the champagne because you were wrong. And let's face it, stop talking about that you did it in front of my daughter because Victoria knows her dad is an older man. Like it's it's not a freaking secret. And it kind of ends with Bethany saying, it's true, you zinged her and then she whacked you. So then Andy turns to Jill. It's time for a question for her. And I fucking hated this question. I just thought it was so fucking typical and pretentious. He says, you do spend a lot of money and you do it freely. And do you feel somewhat responsible for the economic crash? It's such a fucking idiotic question, but Jill answers it perfectly. She says, are you kidding me? I'm helping out the crash. I'm spending money at retailers who desperately need it. And which is true. And it's like, Again, I just thought so short-sighted of Andy and so fucking typical Bravo and Hollywood. It was the big banks and government's fault that we had this crash. Then on top of them doing all of this, the, the, the mortgage lending and all the bullshit that they were pulling, then government gave them all of our money and bailed out the big fucking banks. Like, I'm sorry, but if you can't fucking get your business right, then you collapse. And any small business would tell you if we mismanage our money and mismanage our business, we collapse. We don't get everyone's taxpayer dollars to then prop up our shitty business. But all of these big banks who fucked all of us back then, they not only screwed us all, but then when they collapsed, got all of our taxpayer money to prop them up. It was just a total bullshit situation. It was not the people's fault. And it was such a misdirected, biased opinion. I just, it made me sick. But again, Jill, just like she handled that asshole British reporter who came in and tried to have that same line of questioning with her, she has a great answer where she says, look, if you make people feel guilty about spending money that they have and that they can afford to spend, then there will be no economy. Point blank. She's right. Boom roasted. Well, then it's Luann's turn. Andy says he has a question from a viewer who says that they want to nominate Luann for the We Live in the 20th Century, No One Gives a Shit About Your Title Award, which again, like I said, he just goes there these early seasons. And Luann definitely tries to walk it back. She says she uses the title for charity. People love it. They have a lot of fun with it. And she really doesn't take her title too seriously. Which is like, please, Luann, again, I just, oh, she's just not being honest because she does take it seriously. She was trying to use it as part of the upper echelons part of the show, right? The rich and famous following them, seeing what they do. So yeah, she definitely does take it too seriously, but she, she tries to cover for herself in that moment. And then Andy turns to Ramona and gives, they're kind of talking about the Simon, Alex, his her hatred for the two of them. And he says, a viewer has asked that maybe she's really attracted to Simon. And that's why she has such hatred and vitriol for him. <laughs> and you could see Ramona's like, oh my God, like, please, absolutely not. And she says, look, I don't know what happened in the finale when I started dancing with him. He kind of got down on one knee and serenaded me. And somehow we ended up having fun. And they ask Alex if they if she thinks that Ramona has the hots for Simon. And I think, again, it's like Alex, I just feel like she's constantly covering for Simon because I think I would have said, no, I don't think she's attracted and has the hots for my husband. But Alex is like, I don't know. And then does her laugh, which is just so annoying. But whatever. And then Andy addresses all of the women, and you will see this when you look back on season two and especially season three, that they got lots of viewer complaints that all of them were shilling their businesses this season. 
And I think Ramona has a really good point because they are shilling their businesses. But she says, look, our lives are our businesses. And this is reality. You're following us and what's important to us. We're all trying to make it in this economy. And we're trying to put our businesses out there. So it's only nor- you know, normal that we would do do this and put it out there. And as Bethany says, look, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Like, all I do is work. So if you want to follow me around in reality with my life, that's what you're going to get. And it's true, they are hawking their products, but what do you expect? They're trying, they're starting businesses and, you know, that's what they want to do. And maybe there's some that are more authentic than others, like as Jill was trying to call out Ramona, kind of saying, you're doing this just for the publicity, kind of, because it came across your plate, versus a Bethany who really was starting these businesses from the beginning when we met her, it was her goal. So then we move on to Alex. And Andy mentions that they are writing a parenting book. And he thought that was strange because per the last season, he would have thought the book would have been How to Keep It Hot with Your Spouse, which is like gag me with a spoon. And so then they go into Alex's package, which is really just clips of Simon's creepiness. And I love that they kind of give it to them too. You see all of the clips of Simon just being totally disgusting with her, where he's like touching her inappropriately. All of the creepy Simon sightings that we've talked about over the last season when he has the limo freak out, which to me was totally abusive and gave me really bad vibes. And so when the when her package ends, they really go in on the concept that they're doing a parenting book based on the fact that her kids are totally undisciplined and out of control. And you can tell people are trying to use kid gloves with this. Bethany is trying to say, look, who am I to say I don't have kids? Like, I don't know, you know, whatever. And Alex kind of saves it a bit and says, everyone is writing a how-to book, the the manners book by Luann and the How to Unleash Your Skinny Girl by Bethany. She says, this is not a how-to book. It's really just a book about the experience of parenting in the city, which is a good kind of cover for it. At least she, you know, kind of saved it a bit. And she says it's going to be on bookshelves in January. And so I'm assuming that must mean January of 2010. And then I love it because Ramona just comes right out. And you can say what you want about Ramona, but especially in these early years, her delivery always sucks, but she tends to be right. And she gets straight to the point and says, I've got a question for you. Do you ever discipline your kids? And if so, how do you? Which really is the point, because like I said, you see it over and over and over again. They do not discipline their kids and their kids tend to exhibit really shitty behavior, probably learning it from their father, and nothing is done about it. They just ignore it. It's unbelievable. And, you know, Alex does have a good point about most of it was was seen at the finale dinner for the season one finale, where remember her uh, Francois kangaroo was stabbing the $40 burger of Bethany's then boyfriend, Jason. And again, there is kind of a point there. She says the kids were really tired. It was really late. She wanted to get them home to go to bed. And we all know if your kids don't have a nap or if it's way past their bedtime, they do tend to act up. But it's not just that scene, Alex. There's many other scenes where your kids are a total disaster and you're not disciplining them. Let's just be real. And Jill keeps trying to come to her defense, even though she talks the most shit out of anybody, which I thought was more of Jill trying to save her own reputation and look like she's a nice person than it was actually defending Alex. Because let's just be honest, she goes on even in season three to talk shit about um, the children. So we don't really get anywhere with that, but I like that they bring it up. And then Andy turns to Ramona and says, well, why didn't you go to Alex and Simon's housewarming party? 
And again, it's so funny. Ramona makes a bunch of excuses. They weren't serving dinner or she didn't know if they were serving dinner because they didn't put it on the invitation. And it was from 8 to 10 p.m. and she needs to eat and she eats dinner at 8 and she doesn't want to eat in Brooklyn. And she does throw in that they're not that friendly. And of course, Jill, who's the truth police to everyone but herself, calls her out and says, just say the truth. You just didn't want to go. And I like Bethany. Finally, you can tell this must have gone on for a little bit because Bethany's like, what's the big deal? They're not good friends. She didn't go to the party. Like, end of story. It's not that big of a fucking deal. And it's like, thank you, Bethany. And I couldn't help but think part of probably why you see a lot of these call outs, too, where I feel like there's a lot of kid gloves used, especially with like Teresa in, in the reunions where they'll kind of ask her the questions. But when she's just spewing bullshit. Andy won't call her out is because you have somebody like Bethany here, right? And and Jill to some extent, but mostly Bethany, who's going to fucking call you out on your shit. And whether it looks good for her or looks bad for her, she's just going to say straight facts and put them out there. And so maybe that's part of why Andy could go in too, is because you had these other women who were calling it out. It was, and someone like Bethany, it's like they weren't going to be able to go up against her. So then we move on to Simon's limo freakout, which I've said before, that really hit a nerve with me. And Ramona calls it out like it is. And she said, that actually scared the crap out of me. It reminded me of living in my abusive um, house with my father. And but then because she just can't help herself, she goes, does he abuse you emotionally or physically? And Bethany pops in and is like, like she's going to say that on national TV, Ramona. But I have to say, that scene was very disturbing. It totally reminded me of a very abusive person. And if you look at Alex's face, although she sits and excuses it at the reunion, which really pisses me off, she says, well, it looks like it's zero to 60, but it was really just a buildup. She claims that she wasn't upset. But if you go back to that scene and look at her face, she's almost breaking out in hives. She's totally mortified. She's very uncomfortable. And the fact that she doesn't turn to him and say, shut the fuck up, like, stop it. You're acting like a psycho. To me, says everything about the fact that he acts like this all the time, and she's a total wallflower when it comes to calling him out, and probably because she can't. And I do feel like he's totally out of control, and she is just a victim of it all, and she sits there and excuses it. So again, although Ramona's saying, does he abuse you emotionally or physically? The fact that she says that at the reunion, it's not a great delivery, but it's so true what she says about that scene was very telling and scared her. And it just said a lot about Simon's behavior and the fact that he would feel comfortable acting like that on camera. To me, it just says it all. Well, then it's time for Bethany's video package. Andy explains that she's the Greek chorus of the show who leaves us wondering if you can have it all. So her package goes on and shows us the photo shoot for her book. We get to see her doing the photo shoot where she makes the cover of Social Life magazine in the very beginning of the season. It shows her talking about not having anybody, the deal with Frankie about if they're not married when they're 40, the date with Philippe. The lunch with Ramona, where they're seeing Ramona's cosmopolitan rules and uh, the, the pictures of her when she's bodybuilding. Just fun clips of her and Jill at some of these parties dancing. And when the package is over, Andy asks her about trying to have it all. And she says she doesn't think she has it all, but she's definitely living a dream. Um, But she does need to focus on her personal life a little bit more. And I just thought this was so telling because Jill interjects and says, you know, she can have it all, just not at the same time. And Bethany's response is, well, we'll we'll see about that. 
And I thought we just could not have had a better foreshadowing of what's to come in the opening of season three. And again, super fucking negative from Jill. Like, why would you tell your friend they could have it all, but they just can't have it all at at one time? It's just who says that to somebody? Just kind of shitty. And then Andy opens it up to the ladies and says, does anyone have any responses to Bethany? Because she's made a bunch of snarky comments about all of you guys. Does anyone, you know, want to address anything? And of all things, Luann's like, well, you didn't like the name of my book. It's like, oh, my God, Luann. It was like, of all the things, let's get over the class thing. I think Bethany had a really good point. And then Alex, she kind of she gets a little bit of balls and gusto and says, you know, Bethany, the one thing I don't like is if you're going to make snarky comments about me, I want you to make them to my face instead of doing them in interviews. She says she finds that a little bit cowardly. Bethany kind of defends it and she goes along and says, you know, I said this to Luann's face. I said that to Jill's face. I said that to Simon. And Alex says, well, I didn't know you said that to Simon. We're not one person. And they kind of, Bethany's like, sorry if I considered you guys one person. But in the end, Bethany goes, look, fair enough. Fair enough. Like if there's stuff I've said, I agree, I should say it to your face. So I kind of liked that moment too, where even though Alex was being a little harsh, the, the two of them kind of, you know, Bethany was able once again to kind of say, all right, I see your point. And they kind of tied that piece up with the bow. And then it's interesting because if we fast forward to season three, where Kelly constantly talks about Bethany putting her, the, putting her in the press, and then she has no examples of Bethany putting her in the press, Kelly gets called out for an article where she said that Bethany is inauthentic. Is she best friends with so-and-so and mentions a bunch of high-profile people's name? No. And basically is saying that she'll never be a socialite like Kelly. And I mean, in, an, in a news press, it's like, what are you doing? So they ask Bethany what she thinks about that. And Bethany's like, yeah, well, I hate socialites, so that doesn't bother me one bit. Andy goes on and asks her, she mentions that you cry a lot and that you're kind of a crybaby. And Bethany's like, well, I don't think I'm a crybaby, but yeah, I cry. You know, sometimes I cry about the fact that I don't have parents. I'm alone. I don't have a, I'm not married. I don't have a relationship and I'd like to be married with children. And she gets a little bit emotional, which I thought I liked that moment too of Bethany being vulnerable and kind of showing who she is. And she says, look, I guess I'm a crybaby with a big mouth, which I thought was great. And then Kelly launches into, it's just, again, it's so all over the place. Kelly says, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? You're a total fox. Hello. Like, why would you ever cry over a a guy? And Kelly just starts going in on that kind of shit. And Bethany's like, no offense. I'm not going to take relationship advice from you. (laughs) And I just loved it. And then Jill, I think Jill, this question really gets at a question of some of the emotional problems with Kelly. Because Jill says, wait, you've never cried over a bad relationship, Kelly? Like your divorce, none of that? And Kelly says, no, what what am I going to do? Like, sure, I've been upset, but what am I going to cry? And again, I just, there's a major disconnect emotionally there. And then Luann, I think, also gets kind of at one of the core points. This is, and, and it really just asks Kelly, do you have a lot of girlfriends? Which, of course, Kelly contradicts herself in mid-sentence. She says, yes, I do. And then five seconds later, it goes on to say that she has just a very small group of friends, like three friends. <laughs> it's like, and Ramona calls her out and says, look, you, you might not know this, but a friend of mine dated a guy who lives in your building, and she said that you were always all over the guy, and you never once acknowledged her, like wouldn't even make eye contact with her. And that's really part of the problem here. And Bethany says, you may not realize it, but you're just not a girl's girl. And of course, Kelly, yes, I am. She just, just no self-realization and no looking in the mirror. 
And Bethany goes, no, just like Ramona's story, I've had the same exact experiences with you. When we were at Tommy Hilfiger's party, I've said it. You kissed Tommy's ass. You kissed my boyfriend's ass. You didn't even acknowledge me. And Kelly's just goes off and she's like, look, I'm not being mean, but that's just what happened, Kelly. That's just the truth. And then Kelly says, because she just does not live on planet Earth, if that's the case, then you need to sit down and talk to me about it and tell me. And Bethany's like, that's exactly what I did with you at Jill's house. And Kelly says, no, you didn't. And it's like, what planet are you living on? You get nowhere with Kelly and says, so Ramona says, I'm going to walk off again now because this is getting boring. Referencing her walk off, the original reunion walk off from season one. And then we end the part one of the reunion with Ramona's blog. And you may not remember this, but back in the day, all of the housewives were required as part of their contract to do a weekly blog. This is when online blogs were a big thing. The internet was just blowing up. And so every week, the women had to put out a blog about the episode. And it was kind of like a little mini way for them to to give a recap of what was going on. And Ramona's blog, because she was pissed that Bethany was knocking her dating rules that she did in the late 90s in Cosmo, she said, the joke's on Bethany because she's still alone, she's still single, and she has nobody in her life. And Bethany looks at her and you can tell she has she has tears in her eyes and she says, that was just mean. And Ramona kind of tries to excuse it and said, I was getting back at you again, just like I was telling Luann I was getting back at her because you were saying my rules were before the phone. And Jill comes to Bethany's defense. And you can see Jill is holding Bethany's hand in this moment. Ramona calls Jill brain dead. And Jill's like, no, I'm not brain dead. You just can't keep up with me, sweetie. And like, think of something to say fast enough. So you have to go with that. I'm brain dead. And then Ramona gets really pissed and she grabs Andy's card and rips it out of his hand. She's like, well, are you going to finish what I said in the blog? Because the next line, I said that Bethany's a great girl. (laughs) And I just love it. I love that she ripped Andy's little reading cue cards out of his hand. It's so good. But Bethany does explain in it, and it it really does kind of hit home. She's clearly teary-eyed, as Andy points out, as Ramona's trying to defend herself. Like, are you noticing that she's tears over there? And Bethany does explain that, look, I'm totally alone and I'm really vulnerable because I am alone. I don't have kids. I don't have husbands. And so you guys can just come in and hit me at the place where it's my biggest vulnerability, the fact that I don't have a good personal life. And she does kind of say as a warning, there are things about your marriages, your kids that I would never bring up. You guys want me to start bringing that stuff up because that's your biggest vulnerability. So maybe think about that before you come for me. And that little argument ends part one of the Roni season two reunion. And we get a big to be continued because as Andy says, we're going to really get into the super juicy stuff, the Bethany Kelly fights. We're going to get into all of it at part two. So that's the end of this episode, but not the end of our deep dive into the season two reunion. Since next episode, we will be doing a deep dive into part two of the Roni season two reunion. And as always, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other places you get your podcast. And please like and follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Deep Fix Podcast. Until next time, see y'all then.